Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 16. We got our license, y'all. <laughs> and I am with Typhoid Mary. Yes, she I'm sorry. She is still sick 700 years later. Right. She's been to the doctor like three times. My gosh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't even like doctors, y'all. She got a shot, y'all. That tells you how bad she felt. Yes, I was like, stick it in my ass. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant uh, the shot. The shot. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like doctors. To date them. To date. Not- <laughs> she definitely has white coat syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay, so y'all know we went to see Teresa Caputo this past weekend. And it was amazing. Well, tell them who she is if some people don't know. Oh, she's a Long Island medium. She has a show on TLC where she just is a medium. (laughs) And she tours and does all these great things. So Donna's cousin. Who's like my aunt. Like we, I call her aunt, but she is my cousin. Yeah. Well, her daughter bought her front row tickets to see Teresa. And her daughter didn't want to go with her, so she was like, Donna, you want to go? And Donna was like, hell yeah. And so Donna, her name's Nancy. Donna and Nancy had front row seats, and so Tiffany and I were like, we want to go. And so Tiffany and I got nosebleed sections. (laughs) I may have almost died trekking it up those stairs. Girl, I would have used an elevator. No, because you, you could get up to the thing, but then you had to go up. 16 oh, gosh. to the 16th row once you got up there. Yeah. Luckily, we had an end seat so I could like manspread. Yeah. Because it was too hot. Uh uh-uh, uh. I'm not about that yeah, life. I need perfect. space. There were a ton of empty seats though. Really? Mm hmm. But it was really awesome. She was like standing in front of Donna and Nancy at one point. Oh my God. And she's so pretty. That I like, I knew she was pretty because she is. She's yeah. beautiful, but I didn't. I'm like you. I didn't think that she would be so beautiful in person. Yes, and she's so freaking tiny, tiny, like so petite. Yes, I would tower over her like a jolly green giant. <laughs> yes. So tell them about her ring. Oh my god! Yeah, when she was in front of me, her ring. It was like a fucking prism because it was just like <laughs> bling, 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 bling. You could not see a band. It was just like diamonds everywhere. Damn. I'm like, I I can't even imagine how much money that cost. And then she had another ring on and a bracelet. And they were all like just as so big. pretty. Bless her heart. She hurt her knee or something. I don't know. She never said what she did, but she had on a knee brace. And flats. Like, so it, you know that yes. she had on like slip on like bedazzled tennis shoes. Yeah, the kids. So you know her knee was fucking hurting if she wasn't in seven inch heels. Yes. And like, yeah, a knee brace, but it's not just like a. No, it was like a hinge yeah. knee brace. Like it was like a, a post op brace. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she could bend it, but yes. Yeah. Well, she, one time she was walking, this was close to the end. Yeah. And she was walking and she tripped and like tweaked her knee. And started crying, y'all. Like, she, like at first I thought it was like a, because it was like a uh, cry, you know? And so yeah. at first I thought it was fake. And then I heard her do it again. And then they, like, shut her mic off. And yeah. I was like, oh, my. No, she's, like, really hurt. Oh, my God. And, like, she had to take a couple of minutes of just, like, standing there. Of course, all her entourage, like, rushed over to her, like, are you okay? You know, kind of thing. God bless her. But then she powered through. But she, I bet that she would have stayed longer than she did. Yeah. Because you could tell it was still really hurting. Yeah. 
She is so funny. Oh, my God, yes. And she's got a mouth like a sailor, too, and I love it. Yes. When she... Okay, let's get into some of the stuff she said. Okay, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> the very first... Because she just, like, after she gives her little spiel to, for them to, for, like, the spirits to know, okay, she's ready to work. Yeah. Like, she just jumps right, jumps right the fuck in. She is yeah. like, who's the mother figure that died over here? You know? <laughs> so the mother and daughter that stood up first, I don't know if it, I think it was like a father figure, actually, that they said. So this mother and daughter stood up, and I was like, oh, fuck, podunk done come to town. Yes. Shit. This is her first impression of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Like, this is bad. This is really bad. These are the people that news places, Fine. they interview mm-hmm. when it's like a tornado and stuff. It was those people. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, fuck. Like, the girl was standing there. Because, you know, they have her on screen. The girl was standing there like she had, like she was a cow chewing gum. Like, yeah. that's what she, I was like. Girl, stop chewing your gum. But like everything Teresa would say to her, they she would they would just like stare at her. Yeah, like gave no feedback. Like it was just so awkward. Like Tiffany and I up in the nosebleeds were like, this is so awkward right now. And of course it was just the first one. Yes. But I was like, Good Lord, you came here knowing wanting to connect with someone. Yeah, because they're on like the second or third row. So like yeah. clearly you you paid money to have really good tickets. Yeah. So you wanted something. So like what why are you acting like that? Yes. Okay. But so we're not gonna stay on this very long. But I wanted to tell one story that okay, so this girl stood up there were a couple of murders that came through. Like yes. three or four, I think. Three maybe. One of them it was her friend that was murdered. Mm-hmm. And Teresa, there were, a, when she was talking about each of those murders, there were a lot of times where she was like, I've never seen this before. Yeah. I don't know what this means. And she was saying, like, something with mud. Yeah, in a she, ditch. Yeah. And then she she said, like, her hair kept, like, keeps being pulled and stuff. And she was like, like, she kept, like, grabbing the back of her hair being like, I don't, she's pulling my hair. I don't know why. But, so it ended up the girl was... Like, she and a few friends went to a bar. Everybody got out of her car to go into the bar, and then she, like, never went in the bar with them. Yeah. Like, she never showed back up. Well, the man who ended up killing her was, like, a classmate's dad. And they were like, why did she go with him? Like, it would have made no sense for her to be with him. And so they, like, Teresa kept, like, saying, she's pulling my hair. And she kind of took a break for a second, and she was like, okay, I don't really want to say this. She said that a lot, too. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't really want to say this, but I have to. She was like, she didn't go with him voluntarily. That's why she's pulling my hair, because he pulled her hair, like, pulling her in the car. I know. Gosh. And then she said that the spirit brought forth, like, four other girls that had been murdered to show Teresa. And so Teresa, like, when Teresa said that, I looked at Tiffany. I was like, was it a serial killer? Teresa said that she just wanted to show her friend that, She's blossoming basically on the yeah. other side, and that when people come, when people cross over that have been killed in a similar way, like she's there to like take care of them and kind of show them the ropes. I guess I don't really know what that's like. I have never died, so I she, did last week when tea came out of my fucking nose, <laughs> which I think is actually why you're sick. Man, I, it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so anyway, it wasn't a serial killer. 
that Teresa said. I don't know. It could have been. But she just was saying, like, hey, look, I'm... Because I think that the girl was maybe heavily into drugs and, you know, it was just a really bad yeah, situation. Yeah, it was a bad situation. And so, so I don't know. Oh, and she said something about the one shoe, and she was found with... They went back and found her one, one shoe. shoe and stuff. So, I mean, yeah. like, she had more detail. Oh, yeah. there was Yeah, we're leaving out a ton. But, I mean, we also don't want this to be 45 minutes yeah. while we tell you. <laughs> and, you know, too, they don't record her lives to show later. Like, I think it's meant to be pretty well, private. some some when she's filming her. But she said this one was not recorded. Yeah, no. And so, again, I feel like it's kind of meant to be private. So, that's why I'm also not yeah. really like, here's everybody's story. Yeah. Nancy, her son passed away. Actually, just months after my mom. Yeah. So that's why she had wanted to go. And we both didn't get direct readings. But that's, like, explain to them what Teresa said. (laughs) Y'all are going to hear me talk a lot today. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, so Teresa said that basically sometimes, like, she, she can't get to everybody. And so that when Spirit is talking to another person... Your spirit can be saying the same things to you, but to just, again, Teresa's not talking directly to you. And so it's could be something that your the, your spirits want you to know. And I think that that really happened for Donna and Nancy both. We yeah. talked about it after the show. And they, and they, so I'm not speaking, I'm not putting words in their mouth. That's what they said. Donna just is typhoid Marion. Don't want to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> so, yeah, there were just a couple of things. Like, do you remember that she said when Teresa was in front of Donna she started talking about a mother figure, and I was like, Donna, she's fucking talking to you. Yeah. Like, and she said mama. Too. Yeah, she said mama. She said 333, which is like our, our number. number. Shit, there was something else. Uh, Wizard of Oz. A wizard. Oh, my God. Y'all, Donna's favorite movie as a kid was Wizard of Oz, which I don't understand either, y'all. <laughs> but then Teresa said, connecting with the letter M, and it was a girl behind Donna with, her name was like Melissa. yeah. And so it wasn't Donna, but it was just like everything she was telling that girl, though, was applicable to Donna, you know? Yeah. And then there was another family with like a younger son that had passed, and that was very pertinent to Nancy, too. And so I think they both got what they needed, I hope at least. Yeah. From others' readings. Yeah. It was definitely worth it. Was not worth. Well, again, I just felt bad after that day. And I really yeah. um, kind of wonder if that, like, made you relapse is why you've been sick for so long, you know, because yeah. you weren't ready to get out and... Yeah. I mean, because it was like an hour and a half drive, and then we well, were there. Like rain. Y'all got it poured. Oh, and Teresa said that she hates rain, and y'all, it was a, a gully washer came yes. up. Yes, <laughs> and you could hear it in the Coliseum. Yes, it was like... She was like, is that rain? Yeah, and she was like, I don't like rain. She's like, I talk to dead people, but I don't like rain. (laughs) Anything else that happened this week? I've, like, worked every single day. I've, like, worked two weekends in a row. So this is – today we're actually recording on July 4th, so this is my first day off in, like, (laughs) almost three weeks. So I have – like, it is all one huge blur. I have no idea what even his – what day it is. I know. No, I don't know. (laughs) Donna's basically been at home dying. Yeah. And I've been working. So here we are. (laughs) Well, if you're in the Facebook group, you know that yesterday my ears were hurting really bad from the sinus pressure and stuff. And like I've only, I had like six hours of sleep over three days just on steroids that kept me up and like pain. Well, so I had messaged Carrie and she had some eardrops, like that numb or something. So I was like, okay, 
I'm coming to get them. She left them for me, and she was going to work. Well, I get to her house, and so I have a pop socket on my phone, and I, like, redneck engineer it because I have an older car, and it doesn't have, uh, what do you call it? Bluetooth. Bluetooth. And so I put the pop socket on my shirt, and it's hands-free. <laughs> and I was listening to a podcast, and when I got out, it slung, fell on the concrete, and busted the fuck up. It's bad. Real bad. I mean, at least you can still use it, though, because that... Yeah. And, of course, you did it right before a holiday. Yes. So you can't... Like, it's going to take a minute, because your fault... It's, the new one's going to come in tomorrow, tomorrow. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at least you can use it, though. Yes. But, I mean, yesterday was a no-good, terrible really bad day because <laughs> like then I was like oh gosh so I went to call my boss and I was like I can't come in right now I'll come in at lunch I gotta go get my phone fixed and then you know it was just one of those things Verizon wasn't open till like two hours later blah 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 blah. that's why I was like fuck it I'm going to the doctor again and here we are and meanwhile she had to go see this doctor that she has for years <laughs> been like I hate him He's stupid. He's the worst doctor. Well, he's my grandmother's doctor. And and my parents' doctor. Yeah. That tells y'all anything. I went to him when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. And so he just does some stuff that I feel isn't right. It's like old school. It's, yes. He, whatever. He's a good doctor. Yeah. And um, I was like, she was like, oh, fuck. I got to go to see (laughs) him. And I was like, watch you love him. She did. Walked in. Loved him. The nurse was amazing. She stuck it in my ass. <laughs> she uh, gave me a shot in my hip and did not feel it. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Love them all. He's my new boo. We good. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like, I will eat my words. I love him. <laughs> but whatever. That's funny. He also said, so I have, whatever, autoimmune issues. And he was like, that also has a lot to do with you not getting well. Have we told them? I don't know. That I have, like, pre-lupus? <laughs> yeah, she has lupus. She has fake lupus. No, nope. Because <laughs> she can't remember what it's called. It's some really long thing. But, I mean, it's, like, inflammatory. Something connective tissue something. Autoimmune disease. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, had she not caught it when she caught it, this this is only a few months old. Yeah. That she's known about it, it would have progressed into full-blown lupus. But yeah. But she caught it early enough that— I WebMD'd myself, y'all. She legit did, y'all. <laughs> she was like, I have lupus. And Tiffany and I were like, no, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then she was like, no, I have this, this. And I was like, oh, fuck, you really may have lupus. And so we joked about it for like a month. Yeah. Tiffany's like, don't joke about it. And so then we're like, oh, my God, my lupus. <laughs> Little did I really know. It really was. Yes. <laughs> so so anyway, I go see a rheumatologist now. Like she's 700. <laughs> no. So that's also why it's taken her so long to get over yeah. it. So now that you know my whole life story. I know. We've been talking for a long time. All right. You ready? You're first this week? I am first. All right. Hit me with it. Hopefully this voice just adds to the um, Scary. scariness. <laughs> Okay, so you have to take pity on me because, you know, sick. If y'all didn't know from last episode oh my God, I know. and this episode, I'm sick. When I re-listened to it and I said, Jesus, God, are we getting your... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm a baby. 
<laughs> I'm still in your story. Like, this is something that you could have done, but I did. Hopefully you didn't do it this week. That bitch. That would be shitty. <laughs> but finders keepers found it and I'm like, I'm using it. Okay. Picture it. Okay. A charming Midwestern town called Voliska, Iowa. Easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> I keep wanting to call it Basilica. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, no, I had to do it up here. Baliska. <laughs> oh, I'm a professional. <laughs> so it is said to mean pretty place or pleasant view. Okay. So it sounds so charming. But this is a paranormal story, so probably not. <laughs> However, <laughs> ghosts. All of that changed the night of June 10th, 1912. So you really don't know this no. story? Okay, perfect. Because the name like would have given it away. Yeah. Not Basilica. At 8 p.m., Josiah Moore watched his wife Sarah and their four children in their church's Children's Day program. Late night, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, dang, Sunday at 8 p.m., Get those kids to bed. They got school tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so his four kids, well, theirs, 11-year-old Herman, 9-year-old Catherine, 7-year-old Boyd, and 5-year-old Paul. So that particular night, of all the nights, all the lights. Went out in Georgia. Right. I, I sang that so many times in my head because, you know. But all the lights were blackened due to a feud between the city and the electric company. Okay. So, street lights out. Well, that's yeah reasonable. There are two friends of the Moore children, Lena and Ina Stillinger, ages 12 and 8. They were going to be walking to the grandmother's house after the program. But because all the street lights are out, it's going to be dark, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, would, it was like a safe place. Nice place, but, I mean, still, like... Yeah. It's super dark. So, they were like, call your parents, see if you can eat with us after, like, stay with us, blah, 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 and we'll take, like, you can go home in the morning. What year was this? 1912. Okay. I don't think they could call their parents. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) When did homes get things? Telephones? I don't know. Me neither. You're the history major. I'm pretty sure it was close to this, right? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Hold on, I'm looking it it's up. It's in, like, because Alexander Bell did it, and Reba made a song about it in 1876. By 1900, there were nearly 600,000 phones. Okay, 1905, there were 2.2 million. Okay, so I was right. Okay, she but was right. Everything was good. Okay, they're going to come home, stay with us, Yeah. blah, blah, blah. The Moore family and the Stillinger girls walked three blocks Arrived at home between 9.45 and 10 p.m. After a snack of milk and cookies. My kind of snack. Right? The family and guests headed to bed. The parents and the four children were upstairs and the two girls, the Stillingers, were downstairs in the guest bedroom. And it's like a small, old country farmhouse. Yeah. You know? But little did they know that before they had made it home, someone... Had broken into their house. Well, not really broken in because everyone left their... Shit unlocked. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a pretty place or a pleasant and view. Or, 1912. Yeah. So someone was in there. <gasps> and 
and they think he was hiding in the attic space, which was like just a closet basically yeah. up by the parents' room. Like, did he kill them um, with their love? <laughs> oh my god, Shawshank! No, no. <laughs> the Green Mile. <laughs> By medicine, I'm not as quick as I usually am. I'm not a whippersnapper. <laughs> I know somebody said Donna is so quick witted, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's editing, huh?" And I was like, "No, she's that quick." <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, I almost made a joke, but I'm not. Oh God, I, hit me with it now. <laughs> I'm as quick witted as you are to come. I mean, or orgasm. Whatever. I mean, you know the. <laughs> Orgasm fits. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, there was a line, and we just crossed over it. Every single time. And y'all keep coming back, so thank you. <laughs> Either we're a train wreck or they like us. They like us. They really like us. What had happened is that he also, this person, he took Josiah's axe from the backyard like it was you know still stuck in the wood yeah yeah because it was all picturesque and pleasant few every time you say that i think of uh the the movie pleasantville love that movie it's concluded that between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m the intruder slipped into the parents rooms through the attic door and he struck josiah and sarah multiple times with the axe to their head (gasps) yeah Josiah, he used, like, the sharp end of the axe. Oh, my God. Yeah. And with Sarah, he used the blunt end. Oh, my God. I don't know which one would be worse. Yeah. And you could see in the ceiling Mm -hmm. where when he was using the blunt end that the... The cast off? No, the the thing would get stuck Stuck. in the ceiling. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is horrible. Yeah. So then he entered the adjoining room where the more children were sleeping, and they were sleeping two to a bed, and he had bludgeoned each of their heads with the blunt end of the axe. I wonder why he chose, like, to use the sharp end with the dad and then use the blunt end the rest of the time. Like, I wonder just that thought process. Well, what people said is that it might have been faster to use the blunt end because the sharp end got got stuck. stuck. God. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, the sharp end got stuck in the ceiling when he used the blunt end. Yeah. How how low were those ceilings? Or was he like a gorilla? Well, I mean, if you think about the axe, like, swinging. Yeah, I guess so. And it was kind of, you know, like the, what do you call it? Peak of it? You know, so yeah. like the walls. The, yeah. I mean, the ceiling was kind of in a triangle. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. All I thought about was our friend Brittany. She was on vacation, and she hurt her finger because she got it caught in a fan. And everybody was like, how in the fuck did you get your finger caught in the fan? And she was like, I was changing shirts, and I'm a giant. <laughs> she really is. She's like, I mean, I'm pretty tall for a girl. I'm like 5'7". And she is 5'10 or 6 I feet tall. She might be 6 feet, feet tall. And she... <laughs> I just, that just made me think of it because I yes. was like, is he a gorilla? But because she was like, and I'm a giant. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so then next he went downstairs and found the guest room where Lena and Ina slept. Oh, I like that name, Lena. Yeah. He took, he, okay, so he also took an axe to their heads 
but not before Lena awoke, awakened, whatever. And her body was discovered pulled down on the bed with her underclothes removed. <gasps> no. And her legs posed in a sexual manner. No. She was the only victim that had defensive wounds. No. On her arms and her body. Poor baby. Yep. So she was the only person awake while being murdered. God. So after murdering every person in that house, the killer proceeded back up the stairs and continued to systematically strike each of the heads of the deceased victims. Josiah's head was struck an estimated of 30 (gasps) times. All of the victims were left unrecognizable. No. Oh, my God. So, the crime scene, the bedclothes were placed over what was left of Josiah and Sarah's head. An undershirt was placed over Herman's head. A dress covered Catherine's. And the rest of the victims had clothing over their face as well. Bless it. Um, The clothing was hung over every mirror in the house, hiding any reflection. That's like a thing. Yeah. All of the curtains in the house were drawn shut, and two windows without curtains were shaded with clothing. I wonder if he, okay, I wonder if the mirror thing was one of two things. Was it because he didn't want to, like, see himself or them in the mirror? Or was he a creepster? And didn't want their souls to get stuck in the mirror. Exactly. I think it was probably both. Okay. Like I said, they had axe marks in the bedroom ceilings. There there were also marks found in the middle of the children's room ceilings. And what they said was that the killer was swinging the axe in a circular frenzy. Oh, God. Isn't that just heartbreaking? Like, whoa. Yeah, that's bad. Then... Here's where we get weird. Oh, now we get weird? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> the killer left a two-pound slab of wrapped bacon in a towel next to the axe in the Stillinger girl's room. What? Mm-hmm. Don't it, waste good bacon. <laughs> it was cut from a bacon chunk found in an icebox. Like, from the house? Yeah. What? Yeah. That, I guess this is where the Golden State Killer got his M.O. <laughs> Also, next to the axe and the bacon was a short piece of keychain that did not belong to any of the Moors. Mm-hmm. Then, an untouched plate of food that was prepared was resting on the kitchen table along with a bowl of bloody water. And so, he was, like, washing his hands. Oh, God. So, the next morning, approximately 5 a.m., their neighbor, Mary Peckham, was hanging laundry, being a nosy neighbor, <laughs> and being like, hey... Why are all the curtains drawn? You yeah. Know, like, that's weird. We don't have electricity right now. Yeah. Open your curtains. Yeah. Um, and then about seven, she was like, okay, no one has come outside to do any, you know, like, these are farm people. They yes. are up. They're, you know, Gotta, doing all their yes, shit. Up with the roosters. Yes. Unless they are Donna's roosters who used to crow in the middle of the night. Yes. Uh, cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> <laughs> What are you? Th- what is it called? Yeah, crow. The rooster crow. No, I don't roos- know. Whatever. Whatever the rooster does. <laughs> this is why I used to have fear of if I ever had a kid, when they would be like, "What does a rooster say?" You know that stuff. Like, <laughs> wouldn't, oh I gosh. wouldn't know. <laughs> that is funny. That's why you buy them that string thing, and it was like old McDonald, and it goes. 
the cow says, that is old school as fuck because it is not a string anymore. Oh, fuck. It's just really? like a pull down. Oh, man. It's like a slot machine. That's funny. <laughs> Mine had a string. Did yours? Yes. But they have not had strings for a long fucking time because kids get choked. Oh. I actually don't know if that's why, but it sounded good. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> okay, so she approached the door, went to open it, like knock. No one came, went to open it, and it's locked from... He locked it when he left. Yeah, well, which they don't is lock, sketch. Yeah, they don't lock the doors. So then she called Josiah's brother, Ross. And so he attempted to look in the bedroom, knocked, shouted, everything. He then, it says he produced his keys and found one that opened the door. Like, why would you? Right. I mean, who cares if they don't answer and you're like breaking in? Like, why do you yeah. have to yeah. waste time? They could be... Yes. They could have been alive, and you yeah. could have helped them. I'm like, if you got a key, just use it. Well, and if you don't have a key, just go in. Yeah. He went no further than the room off the parlor, which was where the Stillinger girls were, mm-hmm. and he saw their bodies. I can't remember how they identified them because their faces were so mingled, but yeah. I cannot remember. Anyway, I mean, obviously, they people knew who were who were staying with them and stuff, but it was something. Okay. The murders were so horrific that the case actually took the sinking of the Titanic, which had occurred two months earlier off the front page of the newspaper. Holy shit. Yeah. And it was like a botched thing because so many people came in and out of the crime scene and all that. They said that people like neighbors and stuff would come in and like, Look and, like, take pictures of the body. Like, who does that? I mean, not me. No. I just looked that shit up on the internet. Yeah. I want somebody else to go take them. (laughs) Like, oh, my gosh. So they investigated, but it remains unsolved. Still? Yeah. Holy shit. Yep. A few suspects were named, but none of them panned out. Uh, the first was Frank Jones, a local businessman who was in a competition with Joe. He had worked for Jones forever in the farm equipment sales, and then he left and started his own business. Okay. And it was doing really well. So they were like, you know, Jones is once, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Did y'all get that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. She's got Sudafed brain. Right. There was also a rumor that Joe, Josiah, they called him Joe, and that threw me off for a minute, that Joe was having an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law. <gasps> Nothing was founded with that. Okay. But they, the townspeople said, whatever the case may be, they held grudges with each other, but they didn't think it would lead to murder. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty excessive. And, like, kids. Yes, not just kill him, kill, like... A family annihilator, basically. Yeah. Only not because it's not his family. The second suspect, and he seemed more likely, was Lynn George Jacqueline Kelly. And he was an English immigrant who had a history of sexual deviancy and mental problems. He was a like traveling preacher, and he admitted to being in town that night, and he left early the next morning. He was left-handed, which the police determined from the blood spatter that the killer must be. He also had a history with the Moore family, 
And people said that he had been watching them, mm-hmm. the Moore family. Then a dry cleaner in the... I didn't know they had dry cleaners. I'm right. They were fancy up in the Pleasantville. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used a dry cleaner. Really? Even for like formal dresses and stuff? Yeah. Damn. I really don't think so. I'm not... I'm not fancy. Well, like when I go to Mardi Gras balls and stuff, I do the dresses. Yeah. So the dry cleaner in a nearby town had received bloody clothing from Kelly a few days after the murders. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And he reportedly asked the police for access to the home after the crime while posing as a Scotland Yard officer. Why the fuck would there be a Scotland right? Yard? Right. He had mental problems. He did. Bless it. And at one point after a long interrogation, he eventually signed a confession. But. But he recanted and no jury found him, you know, guilty. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I mean, think about how many people even now today, you know, confess, do false confessions because of the interrogation practices. Like, so God only knows what it was like in 1912. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of Brendan Dassey. Yeah. I mean, especially for someone who killed an entire fucking family. Right. With these kids, you know, five, six kids. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that's really all of that. Okay. But I had to tell you all of that. For all this next coming part to make sense. Got it. Well, not to make sense, but, you know, to, to know the backstory. Okay. So, after changing hands multiple times, like, house is now... So it was sold to a local museum operator, Darwin Lynn, in 1994. So he immediately started renovations on the home, and he restored it to near-perfect replica of the condition of the house at the time of the murders. And he gave the site a grisly new name, Velisca Axe Murder House. Oh, God. Yeah, it's like a sign there in, like, Creepy, drippy writing. Oh, God. Yeah. He passed in 2011. His wife, Martha, took over and still allows guests. You can tour or stay the night. Stay the night, it's like $400. Holy fuck. Yeah. So people were like, all right, he's just, Darwin is just doing this for money, blah, 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 because no one said it was haunted before that, Mm -hmm. but there's actually been instances okay but also no one renovated it like back to right you know all of that so in early 1930s the house was rented out to homer and bonnie rittner rittner r-i-t-n-e-r rittner is what i would say but i pronounce everything wrong well i'm blaming it on the pseudofed okay and i'm not even taking pseudofed Oh, but I'm on Mucinex D, and he was like, I have to prescribe it because people make meth. Damn. And I was like, yeah, not me. Just (laughs) need to get my nose and my ears clear. If I was on meth, I'd be skinny. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And have no teeth. It would be like reverting back to your childhood. Damn. (laughs) Did my mama... No, I was still fat. (laughs) (laughs) Little Michelin man. (laughs) So the young couple married in November of 1930. Shortly after, she was expecting. They had little money, but were able to put down a deposit and move into this house. Okay. But shortly after the couple moved in, Bonnie told told Homer that she thought someone was in the house. And she always felt like she was being watched. 
She heard strange noises throughout the night. And she also began seeing images of a man holding an axe looming over the foot of their bed. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? No. So she became hysterical, woke Homer, and he, like, tried to calm her down. They got so... the instances got so frequent and intense that they actually went to a local physician, Dr. Cooper, and he was like, Bonnie, if you don't lower your stress level, you're going to lose your baby. Like, yeah, you got to calm down. So Homer was like, look, I'll stay up and I'll watch you. And it, that reminds me of like Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street. Like when yeah. they're like, I'll watch you. And then they always and they all, Yeah, I was going to say, and then they fall asleep. <laughs> okay. So he watched and he like... Nothing happened for a while, but then he began hearing strange noises, too. Then one evening, he heard the sound of someone walking up and down the stairs. And so he said it was, like, so unsettling to, like, hear, yeah, like, footsteps, yeah. not just, like, a creak. Right. You know? So he was like, fuck this shit. I am going to try to get my money back because they have no money. Yeah. So he went to the local pool hall searching for the house's owner to ask for a refund, because that's how that works. <laughs> um, there, he fo- he found the pool hall's bartender. Lucky, right? Like, of course he found a bartender at a pool hall. True, true, true. Okay, I was like, I don't, what's the but you, irony? Like, yeah. I don't know. And it's like, duh. I just so happened to find him and a drink. Yeah. Not, you know what and I mean? And can you make it a double? Right. Like everyone does to a bartender, he explained his woes and worries. So then the bartender was like, I got something for you. Opened a cigar box, right? And inside of it was like a bone fragment. And it was a piece of Josiah Moore's skull. What? Mm -hmm. From people traipsing all around and shit. Holy fuck. People got shit. Bones. Oh yes. my God. Like, what? Holy shit. Homer was like, fuck this shit. Rushed home, collected his belongings. Cause then, like, he like told everything about yeah. everything. Well, I was gonna say, did they? So they didn't know. I don't think they knew. Okay. And he left with their, his wife, Bonnie. They decided to live with relatives and never got a refund or a deposit for their. Yeah, holy Not shit. a refund for their deposit. Is that what I said? You said they never got a refund or a deposit. Oh, okay. <laughs> it worked. I knew what you meant. Forgot that F on the thing, and it just was or. For. I got it. Or. Yeah, it took me a second, but no, oh, God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> okay. They said another incident was reported by John and Allie Giesman, who purchased the house Darwin Lynn interviewed Dale Miller, the grandson of the Geesemans, mm-hmm. and he said that his grandfather would not sleep in the house and actually went as far as making, like, putting a bed out in the barn. Holy shit. Like, he would not stay in the house anymore. And neighbors thought it was due to marriage problems, but it really had to do with, like, the haunting yeah, situation. Yeah, say the ghost. So, Dale Miller's aunt and her husband were staying with the Geesman family, and they're telling Dale this as a story, mm-hmm. you know. They claim that the door that led to the front porch in the parlor kept opening throughout the evening, and every few minutes they'd get up and close it, and it would just open again. About 3 a.m., Miller's aunt and her husband were seen running down the sidewalk 
with their night clothes billowing behind them. And they never told him, like, what they saw. But, like, they were like, we can't speak about it. So I don't know Damn. what it was, obviously. But it's bad enough that these two grown-ass people went running yeah, in their 90s. Right. And the the grandpa or whatever stays out in the barn. Yeah. But see, I'm like, tell me what you saw. I know. Get that off your chest. Unburden yourself. Right. Tell me. So two young girls and their parents rented the property from the bank between 1963 and 1971. The father was a truck driver and was gone for long periods of time. What is that called? A Over the road truck driver. Oh. Oh, like their long haul? Is that it? Wait, wait. A long haul trucker? No, no. Okay. You're saying types of things, but no, I'm, you know, like their stint, their... Oh, their hitch? Yeah, hitch. That's more, I think, for offshore. Oh. So the girls would awaken in the night to hear children crying, and then on occasion they would return to their rooms to find drawers open and clothes thrown all about their room. Then don't make me clean my shit up. Right. Open the drawers all you want to, but don't be throwing yes. shit around. So they told their parents, but they were like, what the fuck ever? Clean your shit up. Yeah. One final incident occurred. And so their father was sharpening his pocket knife at the kitchen table. And without explanation, the knife flew from his hand and <gasps> stabbed him in the, his palm. What? And they said it was there was no logical way for the knife to uh, to have slipped Accidentally, Yeah. So this was the final straw, and they packed up and left that evening. One, I'm like, okay, I get that that was an escalation, and it hurt you, Mm -hmm. but can you apologize to your fucking kid? For real. Like, how is that, you know? Right. Like, oh, we're lying, and we're destroying our room, but you didn't, like, have a little slippy slip? Yeah. Slippy slip. (laughs) Okay, so today, there's still lots of fucking activity. Strange things. Sounds, screaming. Some guests have claimed to see random pools of blood on the floor. But when they go to get help or go to tell someone to look, it's gone. Oh, my gosh. Everyone pretty much reports a heaviness around the main stairwell. Like, a strange change of appearance of the bedrooms at night upstairs. Like, it's dark. It's looming. It's, yeah. You know, it's like eerie. something's different. Yeah. Yeah. There's been, like, several videos and pictures taken, and there's orbs and light trails and, you know, all of that. They say that the real thrill ride of the night begins around 2 a.m. This is at the time of the night when the train passes through the town, and the whistle of the train is thought to trigger the residual events of the murder that took place, you know, June 10th, 1912. Yeah. It's widely believed, but not... Like, there's, it'll be a different story in a minute, but this is the, the belief. Okay. Is that the killer used the, sa- the sound of the train to sneak through the house and murder all of them one by one? Yeah. And so they say that they've, the investigators have noticed a light fog filling up the master bedroom at the point when the train whistle was first heard. And then the fog kind of moves from room to room. Just as the killer might have. Oh, my God. And it said, once a fog dissipates, it's followed by the sound of dripping blood. Uh-uh. Look, they need to make that a no-horn zone. Right? 
Oh my gosh. Some other, like, I found some stuff and we'll have it on the show notes, EVPs and stuff. Okay. On our website at paranormalchicks.com. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to run down a few things that this group called PRISM. It's like paranormal research. Okay. Got that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they captured the closet door opening, closing on command. They were offering candy. At times, like, we'll give you candy, blah, blah, blah. And that's when the door would close if they wanted it to or open. Whoa. And they were in the children's room. I was going to say, so it was kids. So that was crazy. And then you can hear, like, a child talk and say, it hurts. And then right after, Paul, and that was one of the children's names. Which, this these will be included, like we said. So I'm just kind of running through because it's long. Annie Horn, who's an investigator with Prism, they're on, uh, they're in the doorway to the little attic crawl space, mm-hmm. parents' bedroom. Annie said, Hey, sweetie, can you close the door? And then you can hear a child's voice saying, Do it again. Lena, you can do it. And Lena is one yes. of the Stillinger girls. Holy shit. Like crazy. They have captured some. What it sounds like is residual sounds of the murder. Like, oh, you can God. hear the children, like, screaming. Oh, God. Haunting. I don't want to hear that. It's heartbreaking. They have played with balls, you know, rolling yeah. back and forth, like most yeah. child ghosts. One group, they had a toy manipulation. Like, they had to switch a thing on, mm-hmm. you know. They did that. You know, I just thought of this. Is it like, okay, so the kids that are usually ghosts in these stories were killed, like, 1912, you know? Yeah. Like, when they had very simple games. Like, I wonder in 100 years, like, what games are they going to be able to get kids that are ghosts from now yeah. to play with? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, kids back then, it's like, here, roll the ball to me. And they're like, okay. Yeah. And the kid's like, uh, two years old, where's my iPad? Right. You know? It's like, oh, I don't know. I just Here's a Game Boy play Zelda. Actually, that's too old, too. Yes, way too old. God. I know. Here's Minecraft. Show me how to build a house. Yes. Like, I mean, there's been so many people that go, you know. Yeah. Um, this one, these, this one group, they had scratches on their skin that got darker as the night went on after they did a spirit box Mm-mm. session. He said that it captured, like, when they were doing the thing, you need it. I hurt. I hurt you. And he knows. And that's when they got those scratches. So, Whoa. like, I hurt you and there's scratches. That same guy, it was him and his friend doing a overnight stay. And he said that their night was insta- insane, again, with the scratches and stuff. And he said he captured so many experiences. He's going to get it up on his website, blah, blah, blah. We had disembodied voices Footsteps above us, footsteps below us, devices turning on, cameras shutting off, and they actually captured furniture moving if we ask for a sign of presence in the room. Dang. So I found a podcast called Laughing in the Dark by Sarah Jones, and this is a mini-sode number five. A girl, Brittany, called in and just talked about her experience so in july 2012 she had just graduated college and so two of her bffs and her and some ghost hunters 
went and she, someone fell through. And so they were like, you want to go? And she's like, all right, sure. So she got to go for free. Dang. I know. I'm like, well, there's that. I need friends like that. I'm the one who had to fall through and already paid. Because <laughs> you got the fucking boo-blotic. Blue-blotic? <laughs> I got boobs. <laughs> you got the blue-blotic. Because you got the plague. Yeah. Tuberculosis. Meanwhile, I just coughed a second ago when we took a break, and I gave her a look like I'm going to fucking cut you if I get sick. They took a tour of the house, and she mentioned that at the top of the stairs, the parents' room, you can see the axe marks in the ceiling still. Shit. Where And you can see where they tried to plaster over it, you yeah. know? But, I was going to say, I thought he remodeled it back to what it was. Yeah, but he remodeled it, too. Like, how it looked, too. I mean... Gotcha. You know? She said that she was sitting on a rocking chair. That's My kind of girl. Mm-hmm. In the kids' room upstairs, her friend had one of the EVP machines, and she starts talking aloud to Paul, which was one of the kids, and kind of taunting him. Uh-uh. Don't taunt a fucking I ghost. Know, I know. And, well, and you have to think, these are all college-age girls. True. And, like drinking, like it was supposed to be like just like a weird fun yeah. kind of thing. So, but this, I mean, is that not a setup for a scary movie? Uh-huh. You know, like, oh, we're going to do this. and blah. So she's taunting him. And then she said that her friend like shoots up. All of her hair is like standing up, you know, and her whole body has chills. And it was right then when the EVP caught something and so it, like, kind of lit up and blah, 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 all this shit. She said it felt like something grabbed her. So she had to go outside for a little bit. Yeah. Um, then they started rolling the ball in the hallway. And after a few minutes, it started rolling back to them. Uh, in the kids' room, again, the doors would open and shut all the time, which they've had that in multiple things now. Closet doors are scary anyway. Yeah, they are. Like, no, ma'am. That would be the one thing. One thing has to happen. The closet door creaks open, and I'm like, done. Same these. <laughs> yep. They heard children's laughter and footsteps on the stairs. And also, two of the girls were dared to lay down in the floor of that crawlspace attic. Mm-hmm. And that's where the killer was thought to have hidden out. Uh-uh. They both had a similar experience. They were wearing, it was, you know, in July, so one had shorts on and one had a skirt on. And they were both, when they were laying there, they felt their clothes being pulled up. Mm-mm. It felt like hot breath was on their legs. But why does it, is it like the killer, you know what I mean? Because he didn't die there. No, but, I mean, it could just be the, maybe that's where his soul, soul went. went. Is that a thing? I don't know. Let us know if that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Even just his energy, though, like, was such a horrific thing. Unless it was the dad the whole time. Damn. It wouldn't have been. There's no way he could have committed suicide like that. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so then it got dark, and someone suggested... The Ouija board? Yep. God dang it. Why would you do that to yourselves? So Brittany said she was like, oh, fuck. Nope. Not today, Satan. I am out. Y'all, uh, y'all didn't draw a circle. <laughs> right. So she said, she's sitting in the corner by a piano. She's like, y'all do you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be drinking over here. 
whatever. And so she said they were taking pictures in the dark, like, while they're asking questions and... Yeah, trying to get orbs and all that yeah, shit. Yeah, got orbs. And she said that she went up to the parents' room again, and she had a pendulum. And she said she was asking questions, and it started going crazy and moving in a rapid circle. And then all of a sudden, she got sick to her stomach and actually vomited on the side of the bed. Oh, my God. And so she was like, oh, fuck. So they went out to the, I mean, she went out to the farm, the barn area, and that had air conditioning stuff in there and, like, away from the house a little bit. She was like, okay. Well, so everyone started kind of feeling bad, and they're like, all right, we're going to go, but let's do one more Sweep of it, you know, yeah. since we paid, blah, blah, blah. So, I'm saying blah, blah, blah a lot. I'm so sorry. But blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is a candle from their Ouija board seance thing. When they went, it was lit. Mm-hmm. So, they blew it out. They walked, you know, doing their little, came back. It was lit again. Uh-uh. Blew it out again. Lit itself again. Holy shit. Yeah. So they were like, um, skirt, Lego. Yeah. One, My Lego. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would say. Right. Meanwhile, they're like, let's ha- let's drink it. I'm like, no, let's eat. Right. I brought the bud. I brought this up. But anyone brought chips and salsa? Cause yes. Could I get a little guacamole, cheese right. dip? Sour cream. Make some nachos. Maybe not Mexican. Why did my brain go to Mexican? <laughs> <laughs> the tea's still in your head. For real. Okay, so they ended up leaving about 4.30 a.m., so that was, like, a quick little trip, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I have to talk about it. Ghost Adventures mm-hmm. had a time Your here. Your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Justin? Zach. Same thing. Season 4, Episode 10, if you want to watch it. Just going to run down real quick of that. One of the guys Zach was interviewing had done a hunt, and when they asked who was with the spirits, they named Kelly. And they think they were naming the Reverend Kelly, who they thought might have been the killer. Whoa. Yeah. And then they also captured an EVP on the stairs, and it was like a breathy male. And it kind of like huffed, you know, like. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, I killed six kids. What? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, again, it's an EVP, so it's more muffled. Like, yeah. Like, I killed six kids. Like, yeah. That's it. Um, that was a good impression. Thank you. Just call me whatever name is on Big Brother. So uh, they also called doors closing. Zingbot? No. Oh, Sam. Yeah, the okay. girl who I was, was like, a what? Robot. They could not have picked a better oh contestant to be a robot. Her voice is perfect, perfect. robot. Yeah. If y'all don't watch Big Brother, you've only missed three episodes, get it. Because Please. we love this show. Yes. Uh-huh. It's like the only show that I'm called up on right now. Like, I literally. Last night, watched the season finale of SVU. Damn. That's how far back on TV I am. But I'm caught up on Big Brother. Yeah. They also caught doors closing by themselves on camera. They were using the spirit box and asked if anyone was there. They got a girl's voice saying Lena and a boy's voice saying Paul. Yeah, and Lena is so clear, too. Well, and you know, that's interesting, though, that, like, everything keeps saying Lena and Paul. Like, that uh, clearly they're, like, the strongest spirits. Yeah, and Lena, though, was the one who was... Alive. Uh, yeah. 2014, there was a group of paranormal investigators, <laughs> and there was a guy named Robert Stephen 
Larson Jr. And he actually stabbed himself <gasps> while he was inside the house. <gasps> he was uh, 37 years old. Oh, my gosh. He had arrived with a group of friends, you know, the Montgomery County Sheriff Joe Sampson said that he believed that Larson was alone in the house at the time of the incident and called his friends for help when the stabbing occurred. He when, stabbed himself? Yes. When they arrived, they found Larson stabbed in the chest. He had a, a self-inflicted wound. He was flown from a local hospital to Crichton University Medical Care in Omaha, Iowa. Right? I know. I was like, uh, okay. Iowa. Okay. Cool. Since the incident, Larson has recovered from his injuries. The details are vague, but apparently just after midnight, his cries were heard. And the other groups, you know, came, found that he had stabbed himself with an unknown object. And there's that. However, at the time, it was like 1245, and that is one of the approximate times Yes. That the murders took place. <gasps> yeah. He didn't kill himself. Or he didn't try to kill himself. Who stabs themselves? Yeah. Like, I wonder what, like, of all the suicide methods in the world, how many people choose to stab themselves? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, two people with blade incidents. Yeah. Sis. <laughs> Incidences. <laughs> Incidai. No. <laughs> God, you know you're like a smart fucking like, that's nerdy humor. Like <laughs> I am not. You left. Yeah, but I'm a dork. <laughs> do you know what a dork is? Uh, something about a whale. A whale's penis. Oh, yeah. I, I do have a big head. <laughs> Just a <dip>. <laughs> <laughs> My blowhole. <laughs> Just don't use the blow poke on me. <laughs> so, I'm. That's it. That's all. I mean, there are so many more things. Like, yeah. But of the same thing, they hear kids, furniture moves. You know, like doors open and close. Blah, blah, blah. People get stabbed to death, touched. You know, all yeah. the all the craziness. It's just. I think of all those, the scariest thing to me would be the lady that saw the guy with the axe standing at her, the end of her bed. Yeah. That would be the thing. I mean, other than the ghost stabbing me. But there has been some controversy. Just with, if people think that is a wrong thing to do, what Darwin did to restore it and make it, like, mm -hmm. an attraction. Yeah. Off of this whole family being murdered. Murdered. Like, so gruesomely. Yeah. And unsolved. Mm-hmm. So what is your take on that? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I totally get, like, the respect and all of that and the controversy. But how is that different than any other house we've spoken of? You know what right. I mean? It's because it's because what it does is it places more value on their lives than any of the lives of anybody else. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Which, I mean, obviously kids are really hard. You know, a person's a person. So, I don't know. I see both sides. I don't actually have an opinion. What about you? I, I don't know either. It's like, I hate the sign he has out in the porch. You'll, I mean, on the thing. Just because it, like, it's such a, it's like the biggest, you know, like, the largest ball of yarn, yeah. like, that kind of attraction. 
that's kind of weird. I mean, I get why he has it, but I feel like that could have been a little bit more tastefully done. Yeah. But also, I feel it's just weird because, like, the Sally house no one died in. Well, I mean, she died from that botched, Sally died from that botched thing, but it wasn't, like, a murder. The house is pretty, though. Yeah. Like, that house, if I could, that's the kind of house I really wanted to build. I mean, not two-story, because uh, ain't nobody got time for those stairs. Well, and it's hot as fuck upstairs. Always. Always. But, like, I just love that look. Me too. I could have just had, like, tall-ass ceilings, and that would have been great. Hell, still haven't built the house yet, so I can just turn everything around. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well... They obviously changed the picture out front because, or the sign, because look at this sign. But this looks like a bunch of people were on, like, real cyclists, and they, like, are playing dead outside the Oh, my God. Thing. And so it's like, but look, that sign's different. It's more yeah. like block print than, like, that drippy, yeah, stupid print. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, but, I mean, it, I don't know. I think that, how is that different than our podcasts? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we're, we joke and we make light of difficult situations. Yeah. And I think that that's what people are doing in the the case of this house, yeah. too. You know, well, I don't think it's necessarily in a disrespectful way. I think it's in a, holy crap, one, we're remembering this. Yeah. We're remembering the victims and, you know, but also it's intriguing. Yeah. And how do you deal with something that's difficult yet intriguing you have to make light of it in some way. Yeah. And so I think that that's what this does and what our podcast does and every other podcast that deals with paranormal or true crime, you know? Yeah. True. True. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't hate it and I don't not hate it, you know? It's I honestly just, don't care. Is that awful? Like, no. You know, I mean, I, people I mean, are always going to have their opinions. Pennies in a wad. And, yes. t- you know, it's like, who cares? That's why you don't wear panties, so. Shut up. Yes, I do sometimes. <laughs> 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 yeah, so I guess that's my stance. My stance is I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks about it. <laughs> yeah. I was that comes wondering. with age. Uh, yeah. So let us know. Yeah, what y'all think. We care. <laughs> <laughs> I care. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And I guess, too, like what I mean by I don't give a shit is there's always going to be somebody that doesn't like something. There's always going to be someone that does. Yeah. There's no way to please both parties. Right. So... Let them live their best life, make a little money. You know, he put money into it. He restored this house. He's keeping up their memory. You do you, boo. Yeah. That's how I feel. I made an opinion through all this. (laughs) You're right. You are totally right. Can we get that on recording and just play that? (laughs) That this is on recording. I know. As soon as I said that, I was like, well, that was stupid. But we'll just, like, hit play on that every so often. Be like, Marley agrees. (laughs) Be like a DJ. You know how they're like... She is, like, in it to win it with this. She is. She said, you just so right. Well, I liked that story. I know. I'm sorry I was, uh, you always talk about skinny girls getting into your pond of bigger guys. Uh-huh. And I got into your true crime pond. <laughs> no, I liked it. Awesome. I right. too. Are you ready? For this jelly? Correct. Picture it. Okay. Chicago. Okay. Circa 1887. Okay. World's Fair's coming to town. Oh. And you need a hotel to sleep in. Ooh. 
You should go to the murder castle. <gasps> what? With H.H. H. Holmes. Yes! Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> so excited. Excited like you were about the toy box killer because oh we know gosh. how that went. <laughs> I know, right? But I just, I know about him, but I don't know all the details. And I was going to listen to something. I was like, no. Carrie's going to do this one day, and I want it to, like... All be a surprise. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think my throat just got better. <laughs> <laughs> yep, still sound like this. <laughs> okay, so H.H. H. Holmes was born Herman Webster Mudgett in New Hampshire. Mudgett? Mm-hmm. M-U-D-G-E-T-T. Mm, I would have went by H.H. H. Holmes, too. Right. Okay, so he was born May 16th, 1861. So he was the third born. He had an older sister, Ellen, and an older brother, Arthur, and a younger brother, Henry, and a younger sister, Mary. Dang. I mean, it was the 1800s. They didn't have birth control. (laughs) So his father was from a farming family, and then, like, his, but his dad worked, like, as a farmer, a trader, a house painter, kind of jack jack of all trades. Uh, master of nine. Samesies. His parents were very devout Methodists, too. And so, H.H. H. Holmes is is known as America's first serial killer. He wasn't, yeah. by any means. He was not the first serial killer. But he just kind of has this larger-than-life kind of persona. And so, people tried to, to fit him into what we think of as a typical upbringing for a serial killer and so there were people that said that he his father was violent and that he killed animals and all this stuff but when you actually look at like eyewitnesses accounts and and all of that he wasn't he yes he had a very strict religious upbringing Mm -hmm. religious not religious (laughs) oh who are you me i didn't tease on everything (laughs) so yes he had that strict religious upbringing but Kind of who didn't in 1861, you know, yeah. that was kind of what you did. So and had sex, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But they say like his, so his father would use starvation and isolation to punish Gosh. them. And his mom was very distant and cold. And that some stuff says that his father would like soak kerosene, like soak, soak wash rags in kerosene and put it over the mouths of the kids to, to quieten them down when they were crying. But again, uh, it's that probably actually didn't happen. Oh. Okay. Because, again, it's like he's – a lot of the stuff about him is actually not true. Yeah. Like okay. a shit ton of stuff about really? him. Really? Yeah. So – but one thing that is true is that when he was younger, he was bullied a lot. And he was really scared of the town doctor. He had white coat syndrome, too, just like you. Yeah. So – the bullies... Holmes is my homie. Oh, God. Okay, so this is what his bullies did. Little shitheads. Locked him in the doctor's office and, like, were, was, like, poking him with the skeleton hands. Dang. <laughs> so terrible. <laughs> but I'm laughing. Damn. I know. It's bad. Yeah. So, what do we think that did? Uh-huh. Created a fascination. As with uh-huh. all kids who experienced some sort of torture, they ended up... You know, they can... Phobias turn into fetishes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when he was 16, he graduated from high school and took a teaching job. And then... What did you say? A teaching job. Oh, I thought you said teaching job. (laughs) I may have. Okay, so on July 4th... Hey! Uh, 
Eight, oh my gosh. 1878, he married Clara Lovering, Lovering, Lovely. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Lovering. And they had a son, Robert Lovering Mudgett, who was born February 3rd, 1880. Robert, like, ended up being a, an accountant and, like, was the city manager for Orlando. Wow. Yeah. After that, Holmes enrolled in the University of Vermont at 18, but he was like, I don't like this school. And so after he after a year, he quit. Then in 1882, he got into University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery, and he graduated in 1884, so he, after he passed all exams. So he was a doctor. Okay. But while he was at the University of Michigan, he worked in the anatomy lab under this professor, Professor Herdman, and he was, like, the chief anatomy instructor. And so that was right when they were really starting to use, like, cadavers mm. for labs and stuff. And then he, Holmes also apprenticed in New Hampshire under this guy named Dr. White. And that guy was, again, one that was really big and an advocate for, like, human dissection and stuff. As yeah. again, So the cadavers, which, I mean, I mean, hell, I did a cadaver lab in school, yeah. you know. So what ended up happening was... Because he was into all these, H.H. Holmes was into all these cadavers and had all this access to cadavers, he started using them to defraud insurance companies. So he would say, like, hey, this person died, Mm -hmm. and then would use the cadaver to get the life insurance money money for these fake people, basically. He's a hustler, baby. Yeah, so he stole all these cadavers from a lab. To be able to commit these, like, this insurance fraud. Yeah. When you worked on cadavers, did you, like, just think this person, like, had a life Mm -hmm. and, like, he had memories or, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yes and no. I mean, it's it's a clinical setting, so it's not like being, like, at a funeral, you know, and you don't know them. I mean, you know, like... This is an 87-year-old man with a history of diabetes and blah, 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 blah. Like, and so you know that, but you're... I mean, you're there to learn, and so we were looking at muscles and how they pull, and I mean, yeah. I mean, you pull the muscle and make the arm move to see. Yeah. How, I mean, like you know what I mean. So you are, yeah, in it. But that's why I'm, I can't do that because I don't think in those terms. Like yeah. all I think are empathetic thoughts and like wondering about his life, making a narrative in my head. Yeah, and, and I don't do that. I, yeah, I, that's not how my brain works. Yeah, I just was thinking like it's so weird. Well, I want to say, I could be making this up. <laughs> I don't know. But I know one, because there were, because we went like once a month for like four months, I think. And so one of the cadavers had a pacemaker. And so like the physician that was over it was uh-huh. saying that like when they first got it, his pacemaker would beep sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that may not be all the details, but I just remember something with the pacemaker making noise, you know. Yeah. So in 1884, before he finished medical school, it's reported that he was really awful to his wife, Clara, like was very violent towards her. Gosh. And so she was like, fuck this and moved back to New Hampshire to like live with her family, you know, which like good for her. Yeah. You know, did she take the kid? Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> sure. No, 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 no. I think she did. And, like, later, I guess when she was, like, asked questions, she was like, I didn't talk to him after that. You know, I I don't know anything about him after that. 
Then he moved to Morse Forks, New York. Whoa. That was a tongue twister. And when he was there, it was rumored. So this this little boy went missing. Okay. And it is said that H.H. Holmes was the last person seen with the kid. And so he probably took the kid. So when when people were like, hey, he was the last one with him, Holmes was like, I'm out, and went back to Massachusetts. So it was like right as kind of the investigation started, yeah. he was like, I'm out, and it's in the 1800s, so when he's gone, he's gone. You right. Know? So then he traveled to Philadelphia where he got a job as like a keeper. So I'm kind of thinking like almost like a nursing assistant type thing Yeah. at Norristown State Hospital. Or maybe, I don't know, I guess at this point he was a physician. I don't know. But he quit a couple of days after he started. And what? there's no really, like, I couldn't find anything about why he quit just days after he got the job. Yeah. Couldn't find anything. So I feel like something probably went down. And His he was insurance like, money came in. Right. And he was <laughs> like, I'm out. So then he took a position at a drugstore in Philadelphia, which is kind of where he did his doctoring, his doctor shit, as you would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't like a I thought surgeon. you said doctor ship. And I was like, damn. Is that a thing? Like his internship, his doctorship? But then I was like, oh, shit. No, me. (laughs) So he, yeah, so that's where he did most of his, like, work as a physician was like a drugstore. Not, he wasn't like, let me be a surgeon and cut you open, you know. So while he was working at this pharmacy, a boy came in that was sick, and H.H. Holmes gave him some medicine from the pharmacy, and the boy ended up dying. And so everybody's like, well, he got this medicine from the pharmacist. It's got to be him kind of thing. So as soon as the boy died, Holmes again was like, peace, I'm out. Damn. And moved again. So there's just kind of like already a little bit of a trail of, you know, weird things happening. Yeah. But he leaves before an investigation really can even take place. Yeah. God, I want to know these answers. What did he do? We will never know. Right after the the boy died from the medicine at the pharmacy, he changed his name to H.H. H. Holmes. And it is for Henry Howard Holmes. And so again, he does that because I mean he's a he's a hustler. He's a schemer. He's a he's always plotting. He's yeah. trying to get money, you know, and so he didn't want the life insurance scams and those two boys and all that to be connected to him. Yeah. And so that's when he changed his name to H.H. H. Holmes. From there, he moved to Chicago. What does he do for, like, I'm a doctor. Here's my, like, diploma, whatever. But yeah. it has a different name on it. I don't know that people cared that much back then. Oh. Uh, you know? I mean, I don't I don't have an answer. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think that people cared, really. Okay. You say you're a doctor, you're a doctor. Kind of like us on the podcast. <laughs> so, later, when he, in his confession. <laughs> Was that laugh weird? Yes, it was very weird. <laughs> I just replayed it in my head. Yeah, it was very weird. And, like, through your straw, so it was, like, kind of echoey. Yeah. Okay, sorry. No, it's fine. Later, when he confessed, he said that also around that time when he was in medical school, he killed a former classmate whose name was Dr. Robert Leacock. And that was in 1886, and he killed him for money. Gosh. But... Dr. Leacock actually died in Watford, in Ontario, on October 5th, 1888. So, like, so uh, he said he killed this guy for inter- that he didn't actually kill. Uh, so that's kind of a, that's kind of his pattern, too. He's, 
he's a hustler. He's always scheming, but he's also fabricating or, yeah. you know, making himself sound. He is just a con man through and through. Yes. So, in late 1886, while he was still married to Clara, Holmes married Murda uh, Belknap. Murda Pe- Belknap? Yep. Okay. So, he filed for divorce from Clara a few weeks later, like, after he married. How, how, what? Yeah. And, so. Well, and how, why did he have to file for divorce? Because no one would even know. I know, I know. So, okay, so, divorce was obviously very, very different back then. Like, you had to have, like, a legit, quote, unquote, I'm doing air quotes, legit reason to get divorced. And so, he said that Clara was having all these affairs, and so. That's why he was basically, like, suing for divorce. But he had no proof, no nothing. And so, yeah. of course, it went nowhere. But if you look back at all the paperwork from that time, uh-huh. it kind of shows that Clara probably didn't even know about the suit. Like, it never oh, even wow. got to her. So, he's making all these claims that she doesn't even know he's making. Yeah, wasting fucking money. Yeah. And so, it that's part of why it never went anywhere. She didn't even know shit. Well, he is a fucking enigma, Right yeah. now. The divorce suit was dismissed in 1891 on the grounds of want of prosecution. Whatever that means. It I means think it means the judge no evidence. Said, Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, the judge was like, you are dumb. Bye. <laughs> Boy, bye. <laughs> you is not kind. You is not smart. You is a hustler, baby. <laughs> okay. So he had a daughter with Myrta. Myrta? Myrta. I don't know. Her name was Lucy. Oh, I love that Lucy name. Lucy Theodate Holmes. His mom's name was Theodate. That's why. Theodate. Mm-hmm. And she was born in Chicago. Chicago. And as an adult, Lucy became a school teacher. Oh, I know. Isn't that sweet? God bless her. Okay. So then Holmes married a girl. I don't really know how why that ended or how it ended. or, But he married someone else named Georgina Yoke on... January 17th of 1894. So, like, just, like, damn. So, just three years later, he was marrying again. Meanwhile, he's still married to Clara and Myrta. Oh, my god! So, he's married to three women at the same time. Yeah. He is, he is something else. Yeah. So, while in Chicago... You know, remember, he kind of does, like, the pharmacy thing. I bet his favorite ice cream flavor was that Neapolitan because it had so many different flavors in it. Maybe. Because he is indecisive. (laughs) He doesn't know what he wants. (laughs) Oh, my God. I wish y'all could see the way she's sitting right now because it's a little (laughs) Buddha-esque. And she's like, I bet his favorite. Like, I'm just, like... How she is sitting just made that conversation (laughs) all the better. (laughs) So while, like I said, while he was in Chicago, he came across Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore. And this was at the southwest corner of South Wallace Avenue. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. God, I've interrupted you. But when you said at the southwest corner, all I can think about is Walgreens when it's like we're on the corner of health and happy or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I just got medication. yesterday and so i had to hear that shit oh my god okay okay sorry (laughs) okay so he's at the southwest corner of wealth and happiness no um Uh, that's what it is no no health and happiness happiness. 
Whatever. Oh my <clears throat> this is not an ad. <laughs> but if you want it to, no. Yeah, I shop at Walgreens all the fucking time. Me too. I will go to Walgreens before I go to Walmart in a minute. Oh, for sure. Elizabeth S. Holton's Drugstore was on the corner of Southwest Wallace Avenue and West 63rd Street in Inglewood, which is like, I think, a suburb of Chicago. Okay. She gave Holmes a job, and he was like a model employee. He was hardworking, blah, blah, blah. For and a day, and then he quit. <laughs> no. He eventually bought the drugstore. Oh, damn. So, one of the kind of, not conspiracies, but like, whatever, conspiracies around this, <laughs> Elizabeth Holton was married to an older man, mm-hmm. and that like, like very quickly after he bought the drugstore, that they both disappeared. Oh. Yeah. However, Dr. Holton was actually... What a, the fuck? Yeah, a fellow Michigan alumnus. Only a couple of years older than Holmes. And both of the Holtons lived in Inglewood throughout Holmes's life and survived well into the 20th century. Like, so, the, 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 these people who are conspiracy theorists, they need to know fucking facts. research and shit. Well, a lot of the, like, a lot of the stuff that I read and watched on him talked about how that this whole case just speaks to journalism at the time and that... Sensationalism. Yeah, and they would kind of print anything to get on the front page and yeah. sell. And and so a lot of the stuff about him isn't true because of that. Yeah. So he's really not that wonderful. Oh. <laughs> I mean, well, you know well, I mean? Okay, let's just stop and go to another one. <laughs> yeah. And wonderful, he's not... You know what I mean. Yeah. Wonderful as in serial killer... Terrible. Yeah. Okay, so after he got the drugstore, he bought this empty lot that was um, next to it. And that's when he began the construction in 1887 of, like, a two-story kind of mixed-use building where there were apartments on the second floor and retail spaces on the bottom. And so the whole time for this place, there were always, like, shops and stuff and the retail stuff on the first floor. Okay. Ended up being three three stories, but we'll talk about that in a second. So the construction of that place should have only taken six months, but it took eighteen months because he would hire and fire workers. So that imagine like, that again, he's so indecisive. Well, but he's part of it. So they say part of it is so no one actually really knew the layout of the house. Oh, kind of like the lady with the house in California. Oh, Winchester. Yeah, kind of like that. And that they said that the house had a lot of like. Trap doors, dead ends, secret passageways. But like I said, the first floor stayed open to the public, like, the whole time. Oh, my gosh. But Could you imagine? No. But he, in 1888, he was actually sued by Aetna Iron and Steel because he wasn't paying them for the steel and the work and stuff. Wow. In 1892 is when he added the third floor, and he told investors and suppliers that he was going to use it as a hotel during the upcoming World's Columbian Exposition, which is like the World's Fair. And it was like a celebration of like Crystal, Christopher Columbus coming over here. Oh, okay. America's first serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> but the hotel portion technically was never finished. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, furniture suppliers said that Holmes was hiding their materials that he, like, never paid them for. Oh, my gosh. And so, like, they searched for it, trying to find it, 
and could never find it because of like all these supposedly like missing, I mean, hidden rooms and stuff yeah. like that, that they could never actually find it. But they say that the second, and this could be again one of the like fabrications, but the, they say that the second floor was more confusing than the third. That it had 51 doors and six hallways and 35 rooms. And that, like, I'm not clear on as to, like, whether people actually stayed there. Because it's like, the hotel was never finished. But then it's like, guests complained that, like, that the rooms were so tiny. They were, like, closets. And that the ceilings were very low. And, like, just had all these, you know, complaints about it. So, it's, again, it's not clear. But it said that each room had a gas pipe in it that was controlled by a panel in the bedroom closet of homes. So, like, he could control the gas in the room. Only wow. only him. And it's also said that the exit doors had alarms that would sound when guests tried to leave. And that there were trap doors, secret passageways, and a shaft door that led to the cellar. And that uh-huh. it was like, what did it say? It was, basically, it was like a greased kind of trap door thing so yeah. like shit would slide easily down it they said that the cellar was lined with brick and it had a dissecting table in it oh um and that it had an elasticity tester like a medieval torture device where yeah. they would, it would like pull you, pull you. Yeah. yeah but again now most people are like that's all fake he didn't have any of that like oh, it was really? just a table it wasn't like a dissecting oh my table. Gosh. It, he didn't actually have an elasticity tester. Like that. Now they're saying all that shit's fake. I know. Sorry to bust the H.H. Holmes bubble, but it ain't real. Damn. You're like that person. Oh my God. You're like the person that had that uh, show that showed like. Don't how, ask. What is it? Don't ask Jim or something like that. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. No, he did all of the magician stuff, like behind mm-hmm. the mask or mm-hmm. unmasking the magic or something. Yes. You know, I, I always want to know how stuff is done. But then when I know, I'm like, it just is so disappointing because it's not magical. Yeah. It's also said that all of, or well, most of the rooms of the hotel were windowless. And that there would be, again, stairways to no way, hallways that would just dead end. Um, what did you say? Stairways to nowhere. <laughs> stairways to nowhere. Okay. Hallways with dead ends. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I told you all about like the gas pipes, like, or some stuff called it gas pipes. Some called it gas jets. There was a wooden disposal chute and the, there was a person sized kiln in the basement. Ooh. Is that real? Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, my. Fuck. What did he live in? A teepee? So, it is... He confessed to 26 murders, but conspiracy... Not conspiracy theorists, because it's not really... It's, like, the fabrications of the stories yeah. um, thought that the murders could be as high as 200. But what he would do was he would advertise the hotel... Being like, the accommodations are fantastic. And he would also, like, use classified ads to advertise for jobs for, like, within the hotel. Yeah. And then... Those damn classifieds, they get you every time. I wrote, this doesn't make any fucking sense. I wrote, and marriage to himself are often dark. Oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, Advertising. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what am I writing here? 
so the advertisements would either be for jobs in the hotel or oh. like a personal ad, like "Come marry me." Oh my god! Um, so he would target young women. Yeah. So one of the victims that we do know is was his mistress Julia Smith, and she was actually already married to Ned Connor, and they had moved into H. H. Holmes' building and started working at the pharmacy. Well, the pharmacy's jewelry county counter. God dang. <laughs> I know how to read. I have a podcast. <laughs> so her husband, Ned Connor, found out about the affair. So he quit his job and moved away. <laughs> okay. He was like, I feel like this is this was in a movie or I think that on that the hotel of American Horror Story, like uh, the like suave guy that's older, that's there. I never, I yeah. never, well, that's it. that's about him. That's about H.H. Holmes. Like the uh, hotel that they're in, I think was supposed to have been H.H. Holmes' hotel. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm gonna have to watch it. That one was good. And Lady Gaga was a uh, fucking amazing. I watched like the first two or three things and I just didn't know where they were going with it. Yeah. And then. You know, she got busy and yeah. it was off. Yeah. But um, I am really excited about the new season that's yeah. coming out. So after he left, he left his daughter Pearl behind with Julia Smith. And, yeah. So he didn't, I mean, he oh, the, left her. Uh, he didn't take the kid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So the kid stayed with the mom. So she stayed at the hotel. She got custody of Pearl. She continued her relationship with Holmes. But then on Christmas Eve of 1891, they disappeared. Oh, gosh. Holmes later said that Julia died during an abortion, but what truly happened, like, was never confirmed. Mm. What happened to Pearl? We don't know. Oh, I hate these loose ends. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, because it's from, like, 1891. Like, you know, well, it was so easy. Well, on a fucking tablet. I need to know. Well, it was. <laughs> Well, they had newspapers. (laughs) I mean, it was so easy to lie and hide stuff back then because it's like you didn't leave these trails like you do now. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have the ways of gathering evidence that we do. You know, I mean, obviously. So history lesson. (laughs) Okay. So then there was another of his kind of mistresses, Emmeline Sagrand, and she began working in the building as his personal assistant in May of 1892. He later proposed to her, and she was like, yes. And then in You're De- my fourth wife. And then in December, she was gone. Oh, damn. Hopefully he wasn't her beneficiary. At the time, he asked um, two male guests to help him carry a heavy trunk down into the cellar. Oh, God. Um, and then later, they would learn that he sold a, like, fully articulating skeleton to the medical school. And so they're pretty sure it was probably her. They're pretty sure it was probably. (laughs) My God. Yeah. Because, you know, back then, skeletons were real and shit. Yeah. You know, it was like. So, yeah. Whoa. Then there was another woman, Edna Von Tassel. Edna Van Tassel. (laughs) Who was. Did she have tassels on her titties? Yeah. I hate that word. Titties? Yes. Go ahead. I know you want to say it again. It's because you're a titty baby. God. Say it. Tits. (laughs) (laughs) 
but she's also believed to have been one of his victims. So there was a guy that was working at this place called the Chemical Bank Building on Dearborn Street, and his name was Benjamin Pietzel. What? Like pretzel, but Pietzel. Uh, Pietzel. I know that that's right because I watched somebody else say it, or I listened to somebody else say it. <laughs> he was perfect. <laughs> okay. So they met and became BFFs. And Pietzel was a carpenter who was had this, like, extensive criminal, criminal past. Again, with the fucking words. Okay. So, so he was a carpenter, but a criminal. Yes. I don't know why the carpenter thing's important, but... It, I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so he was he was a, a hustler and a schemer, much like H.H. H. Holmes. Okay. And so they became BFFs, and Pietzel became his, like, right-hand man for all of his criminal things. Okay. The district attorney later described Pietzel as, like, Holmes' tool, his creature. Mm. In early of 18— Or his Robin. To his Batman. No, I got it. I couldn't think of anything funny to say. <laughs> Okay, in early of 1893, an actress named Minnie Williams moved to Chicago, and Holmes said that he met her in an employment office, although they said that he probably, like, he could have met her, like, years before in Boston, but he offered her a job at his hotel as his personal stenographer, and she was like, of course, and (laughs) they fancy. (laughs) So, but this, she was an actress. Yeah, but just like a one-time actress, I think. Like it said, like one thing said. <laughs> no, it did. It said a one-time actress named. Oh, so, fine. I guess she got old. I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. she, she was twenty-three. No, so she had some property in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, and so when she came to be his stenographer, he was like, "Sup, girl? You want to deed your land over to me?" And she was like, absolutely. No. So she transferred the deed of her property over to a man named Alexander Bond. Was it really him? Yep. Oh, my God. So. He said, give me the deed. I'll give you my dick. (laughs) I mean, fair trade. (laughs) Carrie would be like, okay. Where do I sign? (laughs) So she was transferring this deed over and, like, Holmes was acting as the notary. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. So then Holmes told Pietzel, he was like, okay, I'm going to deed the land over to you now, but we're going to use the name Benton T. Lyman. Well, Lyman, that's... Lie, man. (laughs) Right? It should have been lie, men. So over the next couple of months, Holmes and Minnie Williams started, like, pretending like they were man and wife. And so they rented an apartment in Chicago because, you know, back then you had to be married. Yeah. So Minnie's sister, Nanny, Minnie and Nanny, came to visit. And she wrote back to her aunt. Let me back up so that's a little more clear. Okay. I was like. I know, I know. This is so many names. I'm sorry. So Holmes and Minnie are living in an apartment. Okay. Minnie has a sister named Nanny. Nanny came to visit. And Nanny wrote back a letter to her aunt to say that she was going to go with her brother, Harry, to Europe. And after that, neither one of Minnie or Nanny were seen alive. And that was like July 5th, so tomorrow, 1893. Whoa, he got married on July 4th. He loves July. He does. Maybe that's when he's feeling frisky. (laughs) The heat got him all hot and bothered. (laughs) 
Okay, so there there was a fire like somewhere in the house somehow. Good story. <laughs> and so insurance companies were like trying to prosecute him for arson. So he left Chicago in 1894. <laughs> then he reappeared in Fort Worth. Texas, which is where he had gotten the property from the Williams sisters. Yeah. And there he was trying to, like, do another, like, murder castle, much like he had in Chicago there. But he, again, swindling all these suppliers and stuff. So that month he was arrested and incarcerated just for a short period of time for selling mortgaged goods. In St. Louis, Missouri. So it's like he's, like, jumping all over the place. Yeah. Because he's... This con man that, I mean, he can't stay in one place too long because people are going to catch on, you know? Yeah. So he's, like, jumping all over the place. So while he was in jail, he was bonded out or bailed out. So, But while he was in jail, he started talking to this outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth. That guy was serving a 25-year sentence, and so Holmes was like, look. Wait, what's his name? Marion Hedgepeth. Oh, I thought you said Mary Ann. No. And then you said he. Marian. And then I was like, wait, What? Marion. Okay. So Holmes was like, "Look, I got a, I got an idea. Let's we can get uh, we can get ten thousand dollars out of this insurance company oh if you let me. It, by, like I'll take a plan out policy out on myself, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna fake my death." So he said, "If you you will get a five hundred dollar commission if you can give me the name of an attorney that can be trusted to like kind of keep the whole plan under wraps." Okay. So he was given the name of Jephthah Howe. In, that was in St. Louis. So he's still, you know, he's still up there. Jephthah Howe was in law practice with his brother, Alfonso, but his brother had no had nothing to do with any of it. Okay. So Jephthah was like, dude, Holmes, bro, genius. <laughs> Let's do it. So Holmes faked his death, and the insurance company was like, know about that that seems sketch and so the company was like we're not gonna pay and so Holmes was like all right I'm out I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push it because I don't want to draw more attention to it so he's like okay let's do the same thing but let's pretend like Pietzel's dead so Pietzel was like okay so Pietzel is still in the picture yeah they're still BFFs so he he went with him to I don't know if he went with him but they're still BFFs they write every week I don't know Oh, okay. And so Pietzel was like, abso freaking lutely my wife can collect the $10,000 life insurance policy, and she'll split it with Holmes and Jephthah. Well, it was all supposed to take place in Philadelphia. So Pietzel was supposed to go up to Philadelphia, pretend like he was an inventor with the alias B.F. Goodrich. No. <laughs> B.F. Perry. <laughs> What's Goodrich? Goodrich. Goodrich. BF Goodrich is tires. Oh. Oh, God. I laughed and I didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know Goodyear. No, BF Goodrich. I'm Googling it. Hold on. That's hilarious. I appreciate the sympathy laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the alias really was BF Perry. Okay. So... He's presenting himself as an inventor who is going to die in a lab explosion that's going to completely disfigure him, right? Right. So that they can just use one of the cadavers and pretend like it's B.F. Perry. Yeah. Who is up there faking, pretending to be this person 
yeah. to make the whole spiel work. So, I feel like we're talking about Ocean's Eleven and shit. I know. Like, it, this is like James a, Bond. the worst game of chess ever. Yeah. So, what do you do when you've got your best friend pretending to be killed? You kill him. Yep. So, Holmes did kill Pietzel. He knocked him unconscious with chloroform and then set his fire his fire on body. Set his <laughs> body on fire with the use of benzene, whatever that is. Isn't that crazy? So, he knocked him unconscious with chloroform and set him on fire. Oh, gosh. Like, with didn't kill him. like these. Right? Who needs an enemy? Thank you. You're welcome. So, again, with the holy crap, set him on fire, still alive. That's what Holmes had said. However. Oh, gosh. Forensic evidence showed later that chloroform had been administered after Pietzel's death, a fact which the insurance company was unaware of, presumably presumably to fake suicide to exonerate Holmes should he ever be charged with a murder. Oh, my God. So he was, like, covering his tracks, even in his schemes, just in case he ever yeah. was tried. Did he get the money? Yes, he got the money. He collected the insurance payout because he legit had Pietzel's corpse. And then he manipulated Pietzel's wife into letting him take three of her five children. What? Alice, Nellie, and Howard into his custody. So their oldest daughter and their baby stayed with Miss Pietzel. So Holmes and the three Pietzel kids, they went throughout the, like, you know, northern United States and Canada. Yeah. <laughs> What's crazy is that he, like, at the same time was taking Miss Pietzel on kind of the same route, but, like, but like a parallel route. Like, they were never actually together, but they were uh, all doing the same thing at the same time. Yeah. And they all used different aliases and, like, lying to Miss Pietzel the whole time because she thought her husband was actually alive in London. Uh, she didn't know that... H.H. H. Holmes had actually killed him. She thought he's hiding out in London until the dust settles. Yeah. Of us pretending like he died. Yeah. Because she doesn't actually know he's dead. So he was also like lying about where the kids were, too. I'm not really sure exactly why he was lying about that, but he did. So at one point they were in Detroit, like just before they went up to Canada and like. The mom was just, like, a couple of blocks from her kids and had oh no idea. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, Holmes would later confess that he murdered Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk <gasps> and locking them inside. Oh, my God. And then he said that he drilled holes into the lid of the trunk and then put... Water? Mm-mm, a hose, a gas hose, a gas line oh, into the gosh. into the trunk to asphyxiate them. Asphyxiate them. Uh -uh. Um, Then he said that he burned their nude bodies in the cellar of his rental house in Toronto. Oh, my gosh. So Frank Geyer, who was a Philadelphia police detective, he was assigned to the case to find the missing three kids. What happened to the other one? I don't fucking know. Quit asking me questions. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So he did locate the decomposing bodies of two of Pietzel's girls in the cellar in the Toronto home, just like Holmes said he did. And he was saying, like, his quote is, the deeper we dug, the more horrible the odor became. And when we reached the depth of three feet, we discovered what appeared to be the bone of a forearm of a human being. Mm. So Geyer went to Indianapolis. That's where Holmes had rented a cottage. And he still had Howard Pietzel. Okay. Which is the son. Yeah. 
So it's said that that's where he, he like went to this pharmacy to get some drugs to kill Howard and a repair shop to, sh- to get some knives sharpened so that he could cut the kid's body up before oh he buried, I mean, before he burned it. Wow. So Howard Pietzel, the son, his teeth and bits of his bone were discovered in the Holmes chimney. Oh, fuck. I know. Holmes murder spree was it ended when he was arrested in Boston, November 17th of 1894. He was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Chicago. Oh, my God. And they were like, he's going to run. Like, they were like, this guy's going to run. Like, we're going to keep him because he's going to, like, you know, don't give him bail. Yeah. So after they found the remains of Alice and Nellie's bodies, Chicago police and reporters were like, we need to go check out this house. Wow. In Inglewood. This house locally started being referred to as the castle. So they searched the house and you know what they found? Bodies. Nothing. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Basically, like all these sensational claims have been made and there was no evidence that found anything that could convict Holmes in Chicago. What the fuck? Yeah. So, like, all those stories of the torture equipment yeah. that were found, it's all fake. Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. Nope. Holmes- Is Easter not real? <laughs> like. <laughs> so, in October 1895, he was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Pietzel, the dad, and found guilty. He was sentenced to death. By then, they were, they were putting together the pieces that he had killed the kids. Mm-hmm. And so... After he was convicted, that's when he confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis, and Toronto. And one thing said, that's even right there, not clear, because some stuff says he he confessed to 26 murders. Some stuff says he he confessed to 27 murders. Wow. But of the people that, some of the people he confessed to killing were actually still alive. What the fuck? This is, I hate this story. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So he... Confessed to 27 murders in all those places and six attempted murders. So, he sold his story to the Hearst newspaper. Always Um, a hustler. Right? He sold it for $7,500, which today would be roughly $225,000. Damn! Yeah. So, he sold this confession, which everybody basically figured out was complete bullshit. He gave all these different contradictory stories about like his time of the of like of killings and stuff yeah. and then later he said he was innocent and then after that he said he was possessed by satan he said oh this my is, god <clears throat> this is his quote i was born with the devil in me i could not help the fact that i was a murderer no more than a poet can help the in- the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. Oh, my God. So, basically, he is a hustler till the fucking end. Yeah. And sold his story for a shit ton of money, but it was all fake. So, on May 7th of 1896, he was hanged at the Philadelphia County Prison for the murder of, murder of Pietzel. He was, like... Super calm, showed no fear, like had no, like, just like of the of the murder, yeah. I mean of the hanging. But he asked that his coffin 
be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep because he thought that grave robbers would come steal his body and use it for dissection. Because, you know, he was all Mm -hmm. into dissecting the cadavers and stuff. Mm -hmm. So now when it came to his body, he's like, oh, no. So when when they hanged him... So, you know, like, when someone's getting hanged, usually their neck snaps and it, they kill, yeah. they die pretty instantly. So, his neck didn't snap. Instead, he was basically strangled to death, hanging from the rope. They said that he twitched for, like, 15 minutes. Damn. And then after 20 minutes was finally pronounced dead. 20 minutes. Like, holy shit. Wow. So, remember Hedgepath, the accomplice guy? Yeah. He was later, like, charged and stuff, but he was pardoned because he basically turned state's evidence against Holmes. Yeah. So on New Year's Eve of 1909, he was in a Chicago bar, saloon, as they said in the article, (laughs) and he was robbing it, and he was shot and killed by a police officer. Um, Yeah, I know. So March 7th, 1914, the Chicago Tribune reported that Quinlan, who was the caretaker of the castle, Uh that he died of suicide mm. and that he had taken strychnine and that his body was found and there was a note beside it that said I couldn't sleep and his so all of his surviving relatives said that he was having all these like hallucinations and hauntings oh god and so I guess he was just like tortured from the house I don't know yeah in 1895 two men were seen entering the back of the building between 8 and 9 p.m. About a half hour later, they were seen leaving, and the house was in flames. Investigators found empty, half-empty gas cans underneath the back steps, but the building was okay, and it remained there until it was torn down in 1938 wow. and is now a post office. Oh. So, flash forward one more thing about it. Flash forward to 2017. Whoa. One of... Holmes, like, descendants, uh-huh. said that H.H. H. Holmes didn't die of the hanging, that he actually escaped it. What? And that he was, in fact, Jack the Ripper, is oh. what this guy's claiming. Oh, I think I have heard that. Yeah. So, the pe- so people were like, well, his body's basically, like, encased in cement, so yeah. let's dig him up. And so they dug him up, and because his coffin was in the cement, his body basically had barely decomposed. And so, like, they said his clothing was almost perfectly intact. What? And that, like, his mustache was even still intact. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. And that they— So, wait, they really did bury him in the cement? Yeah. They, yeah, honored his wishes. I mean, like, his coffin was in the cement. Yeah. Yeah. And, I would have been like, fuck you. Yeah. So, but they identified him, like, from his, like, he was positively identified with his teeth and all of that, and then they reburied him. So, H.H. Wow. H. H. Holmes is not Jack the Ripper. Whoa. Nor did he kill all of the people we thought he did in this house. What a letdown. I mean, I know. And, I mean, you know, he may have done something that we don't know about, but. yeah. I mean, he did terrible stuff. Yeah, but all we know for sure, though, is that he killed Pietzel and those three kids. Yeah. Wow. And all in the name of insurance fraud. You know? Yeah. So it Gosh. wasn't like he was this, like, sadistic serial killer. 
you know, where he did all this, like, torture and bondage and shit, you know? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, no, he didn't. Wow. He was just a hustler. He's a hustler, babe. (laughs) You know how you felt robbed with no closure of Pink Lizzie? That I felt robbed because I was like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. Nope. No, just my hopes and dreams went down. <laughs> <laughs> Your hopes and dreams of mid, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just misconduct. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I love to make, what, is, what do you call it? Alliteration. Puns? Oh. I was like, puns? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a pun, but. No, I know, but I yeah. didn't know, I didn't even honestly yeah. remember what you said. <laughs> God. <laughs> she don't care about shit. Look, I'm trying to go get up in the pool. True story. Okay, so. Okay, what did we learn? That people fucking lie. Oh, gosh, yeah. Never deed anything over to someone you don't know everything about. Well, to anybody. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unless you, like, have money. Like, you're getting money for it. Yeah. Like, don't do that. Lord heavens to Betsy. Just don't trust people. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Especially when it comes to your money. Yes. Yeah. So, one, don't trust people. Okay. They lie. Yes. Two. Lock your fucking doors. Oh, my God. I was so about to say that. Yes. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Lock your fucking doors. Yes. I don't care if you live in a gated community. I don't care if you know all of your neighbors and you have floodlights. Lock <laughs> your door. <laughs> floodlights are usually a deterrent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Duh. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't trust it. All right, I got three. You ready? Oh, shit. It's the best one. Don't shoot tea out your nose. Oh, God. Because you will be sick for two fucking weeks. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Y'all, pain, pain, I tell you, pain. This recording took us like eight hours so she could stop and be like, excuse me, let me die really quickly. Yes. <laughs> But I powered through. You did. You did. Hopefully you powered through on this voice. I know. They're like. And watch. They don't even like hear a difference or something. No, you know? they will. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Donna's talking in her sexy voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tea is bad. Should not go in nasal cavities. No. It was probably the damn sugar that did it. Mm-hmm. Y'all fermented and shit up there now. <laughs> All right. So. People are liars. Lock your doors. Watch out for sweet tea. (laughs) And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.